0: section 35 of volume 1d of history of england from the invasion of julius caesar to the revolution of 1688 this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org history of england from the invasion of julius caesar to the revolution of 1688 by david hume volume 1d section 35 CHAPTER 43, PART 3 This body of English were maintained at the expense of the French king. Yet did Henry esteem the supply of considerable advantage on account of the great reputation acquired by the English in so many fortunate enterprises undertaken against the common enemy. In the great battle of Turnholt, gained this campaign by Prince Maurice, the english auxiliaries under sir francis vere and sir robert sidney had acquired honour and the success of that day was universally ascribed to their discipline and valour though elizabeth at a considerable expense of blood and treasure made war against philip in france and the low countries the most severe blows which she gave him were those by naval enterprises which either she or her subjects scarcely ever intermitted during one season in 1594 richard hawkins son of sir john the famous navigator procured the queen's commission and sailed with three ships to the south sea by the straits of magellan but his voyage proved unfortunate and he himself was taken prisoner on the coast of chile james lancaster was supplied the same year with three ships and a pinnace by the merchants of london and was more fortunate in his adventure he took thirty-nine ships of the enemy and not content with this success he made an attack on fernambuc in brazil where he knew great treasures were at that time lodged as he approached the shore he saw it lined with great numbers of the enemy but nowise wise daunted at this appearance. He placed the stoutest of his men in boats, and ordered them to row with such violence on the landing-place as to split them in pieces. By this bold action he both deprived his men of all resources but in victory, and terrified the enemy, who fled after a short resistance. He returned home with the treasure which he had so bravely acquired, In 1595 Sir Walter Raleigh, who had anew forfeited the Queen's friendship by an intrigue with a maid of honour, and who had been thrown into prison for this demeanour, no sooner recovered his liberty than he was pushed by his active and enterprising genius to attempt some great action. The success of the first Spanish adventurers against Mexico and Peru had begotten an extreme avidity in Europe and a prepossession universally took place that in the inland parts of South America, called Guyana, a country as yet undiscovered, there were mines and treasures far exceeding any which Cortes or Pizarro had met with. Raleigh, whose turn of mind was somewhat romantic and extravagant, undertook at his own charge the discovery of this wonderful country. Having taken the small town of St. Joseph, in the isle of trinidado where he found no riches he left his ship and sailed up the river oronoco in pinnaces but without meeting anything to answer his expectations on his return he published an account of the country full of the grossest and most palpable lies that were ever attempted to be imposed on the credulity of mankind The same year sir francis drake and sir john hawkins undertook a more important expedition against the spanish settlements in america and they carried with them six ships of the queens and twenty more which either were fitted out at their own charge or were furnished them by private adventurers sir thomas baskerville was appointed commander of the land forces which they carried on board Their first design was to attempt Puerto Rico, where they knew a rich carrack was at that time stationed. But as they had not preserved the requisite secrecy, a pinnace, having strayed from the fleet, was taken by the Spaniards and betrayed the intentions of the English. Preparations were made in that island for their reception, and the english fleet notwithstanding the brave assault which they made on the enemy was repulsed with loss hawkins soon after died and drake pursued his voyage to nombre de dios on the isthmus of darien where having landed his men he attempted to pass forward to panama with the view of plundering that place or if he found such a scheme practicable of keeping and fortifying it but he met not with the same facility which had attended his first enterprises in those parts the spaniards taught by experience had everywhere fortified the passes and had stationed troops in the woods who so infested the english by continual alarms and skirmishes that they were obliged to return without being able to effect anything drake himself from the intemperance of the climate the fatigues of his journey and the vexation of his disappointment was seized with the distemper of which he soon after died sir thomas baskerville took the command of the fleet which was in a weak condition and after having fought a battle near cuba with a spanish fleet of which the event was not decisive he returned to england THE SPANISH SUFFERED SOME LOSS FROM THIS ENTERPRISE, BUT THE ENGLISH REAPED NO PROFIT. THE BAD SUCCESS OF THIS ENTERPRISE IN THE INDIES MADE THE ENGLISH RATHER ATTEMPT THE SPANISH DOMINIONS IN EUROPE, WHERE THEY HEARD PHILIP WAS MAKING GREAT PREPARATIONS FOR A NEW INVASION OF ENGLAND. A POWERFUL FLEET WAS EQUIPPED AT PLYMOUTH CONSISTING OF A HUNDRED AND SEVENTY VESSELS, SEVENTEEN OF WHICH WERE CAPITAL SHIPS OF WAR the rest tenders and small vessels, twenty ships were added by the Hollanders. In this fleet there were computed to be embarked 6,360 soldiers, a thousand volunteers, and 6,772 seamen besides the Dutch. The land forces were commanded by the Earl of Essex, the navy by Lord Effingham, High Admiral, both these commanders had expended great sums of their own in the armament, for such was the spirit of Elizabeth's reign. Lord Thomas Howard, Sir Walter Raleigh, Sir Francis Vere, Sir George Carew, and Sir Coniers Clifford, had commands in this expedition, and were appointed counsel to the general and admiral the fleet set sail on the first of june fifteen ninety six and meeting with a fair wind bent its course to cadiz at which place by sealed orders delivered to all the captains the general rendezvous was appointed they sent before them some armed tenders which intercepted every ship that could carry intelligence to the enemy and they themselves were so fortunate when they came near cadiz as to take an irish vessel by which they learned that that port was full of merchant ships of great value and that the spaniards lived in perfect security without any apprehensions of an enemy this intelligence much encouraged the english fleet and gave them the prospect of a fortunate issue to the enterprise after a fruitless attempt to land at st sebastian's on the western side of the island of cadiz it was upon deliberation resolved by the council of war to attack the ships and galleys in the bay this attempt was deemed rash and the admiral himself who was cautious in his temper had entertained great scruples with regard to it but essex strenuously recommended the enterprise and when he found the resolution at last taken he threw his hat into the sea and gave symptoms of the most extravagant joy he felt however a great mortification when effingham informed him that the queen anxious for his safety and dreading the effects of his youthful ardour had secretly given orders that he should not be permitted to command the van in the attack that duty was performed by sir walter raleigh and lord thomas howard but essex no sooner came within reach of the enemy than he forgot the promise which the admiral had extracted from him to keep in the midst of the fleet he broke through and pressed forward into the thickest of the fire emulation for glory avidity of plunder animosity against the spaniards proved incentives to every one and the enemy was soon obliged to slip anchor and retreat farther into the bay where they ran many of their ships aground. Essex then landed his men at the fort of Pontal, and immediately marched to the attack of Cadiz, which the impetuous valor of the English soon carried, sword in hand. The generosity of Essex, not inferior to his valor, made him stop the slaughter, and treat his prisoners with the greatest humanity, and even affability and kindness. The English made rich plunder in the city, but missed of a much richer by the resolution which the Duke of Medina, the Spanish admiral, took of setting fire to the ships in order to prevent their falling into the hands of the enemy. It was computed that the loss which the Spaniards sustained in this enterprise amounted to twenty millions of ducats besides the indignity which that proud and ambitious people suffered from the sacking of one of their chief cities and destroying in their harbor a fleet of such force and value essex all on fire for glory regarded this great success only as a step to future achievements he insisted on keeping possession of cadiz and he undertook with four hundred men and three months provisions to defend the place till succors should arrive from england but all the other seamen and soldiers were satisfied with the honor which they had acquired and were impatient to return home in order to secure their plunder every other proposal of essex to annoy the enemy met with a like reception his scheme for intercepting the Carracks at the azores for assaulting the groin, for taking St. Andero and St. Sebastian, and the English, finding it so difficult to drag this impatient warrior from the enemy, at last left him on the Spanish coast, attended by very few ships. He complained much to the Queen of their want of spirit in this enterprise, nor was she pleased that they had returned without attempting to intercept the Indian fleet, But the great success in the enterprise on cadiz had covered all their miscarriages and that princess though she admired the lofty genius of essex could not forbear expressing an esteem for the other officers the admiral was created earl of nottingham and his promotion gave great disgust to essex in the preamble of the patent it was said that the new dignity was conferred on him on account of his good services in taking Cadiz, and destroying the Spanish ships, a merit which Essex pretended to belong solely to himself, and he offered to maintain this plea by single combat against the Earl of Nottingham, or his sons, or any of his kindred. The achievements in the subject year proved not so fortunate, But as the indian fleet very narrowly escaped the english philip had still reason to see the great hazard and disadvantage of that war in which he was engaged and the superiority which the english by their naval power and their situation had acquired over him the queen having received intelligence that the spaniards though their fleets were so much shattered and destroyed by the expedition to cadiz were preparing a squadron at ferrol and the groin and were marching troops thither with a view of making a descent into ireland was resolved to prevent their enterprise and to destroy the shipping in these harbors she prepared a large fleet of a hundred and twenty sail of which seventeen were her own ships forty-three were smaller vessels and the rest tenders and victuallers. she embarked on board this fleet five thousand new levied soldiers and added a thousand veteran troops whom sir francis vere brought from the netherlands the earl of essex commander-in-chief both of the land and sea forces was at the head of one squadron lord thomas howard was appointed vice-admiral of another sir walter raleigh of the third lord mountjoy commanded the land forces under essex vere was appointed marshal sir george carew lieutenant of the ordnance and sir christopher blount first colonel the earls of rutland and southampton the lords gray cromwell and rich with several other persona of distinction embarked as volunteers essex declared his resolution either to destroy the new armada which threatened england or to perish in the attempt this powerful fleet set sail from plymouth but were no sooner out of harbour than they met with a furious storm which shattered and dispersed them and before they could be refitted essex found that their provisions were so far spent that it would not be safe to carry so numerous an army along with him he dismissed therefore all the soldiers except the thousand veterans under vere and laying aside all thoughts of attacking ferrol or the groin he confined the object of his expedition to the intercepting of the indian fleet which had first been considered only as the second enterprise which he was to attempt. The Indian fleet in that age, by reason of the imperfection of navigation, had a stated course as well as season, both in their going out and in their return, and there were certain islands at which, as at fixed stages, they always touched, and where they took in water and provisions. The Azores being one of those places where, about this time, the fleet was expected, Essex bent his course thither, and he informed Raleigh that he, on his arrival, intended to attack Fayal, one of these islands. By some accident the squadrons were separated, and Raleigh, arriving first before Fayal, thought it more prudent, after waiting some time for the general, to begin to attack alone lest the inhabitants should by further delay have leisure to make preparations for their defence he succeeded in the enterprise but essex jealous of rally expressed great displeasure at his conduct and construed it as an intention of robbing the general of the glory which attended that action he cashiered therefore Sidney, brett berry and others who had concurred in the attempt and would have proceeded to inflict the same punishment on Raleigh himself had not Lord Thomas Howard interposed with his good offices, and persuaded Raleigh, though high-spirited, to make submissions to the general. Essex, who was placable as well as hasty and passionate, was soon appeased, and both received Raleigh into favour, and restored the other officers to their commands. This incident, however, though the quarrel was seemingly accommodated, laid the first foundation of that violent animosity which afterwards took place between these two gallant commanders. Essex next made a disposition proper for intercepting the Indian galleons, and Sir William Monson, whose station was the most remote of the fleet, having fallen in with them, made the signals which had been agreed on. That able officer, in his memoirs, ascribes Essex's failures when he was so near attaining so mighty an advantage to his want of experience in seamanship, and the account which he gives of the errors committed by that nobleman appears very reasonable as well as candid. The Spanish fleet, finding that the enemy was upon them, made all the sail possible to the Terceras, and got into the safe and well-fortified harbour of Angra before the English fleet could overtake them. Essex intercepted only three ships, which, however, were so rich as to repay all the charges of the expedition. The causes of the miscarriage in this enterprise were much canvassed in England upon the return of the fleet, and though the courtiers took part differently, as they affected either Essex or Raleigh, the people in general who bore an extreme regard to the gallantry spirit and generosity of the former were inclined to justify every circumstance of his conduct the queen who loved the one as much as she esteemed the other maintained a kind of neutrality and endeavoured to share her favours with an impartial hand between the parties sir robert cecil second son of lord burleigh was a courtier of promising hopes, much connected with Raleigh, and she made him Secretary of State, preferably to Sir Thomas Bodley, whom Essex recommended for that office. But not to disgust Essex she promoted him to the dignity of Earl Marshal of England, an office which had been vacant since the death of the Earl of Shrewsbury. Essex might perceive from this conduct that she never intended to give him the entire ascendant over his rivals, and might thence learn the necessity of moderation and caution. But his temper was too high for submission. His behavior too open and candid to practice the arts of a court, and his free sallies, while they rendered him but more amiable in the eyes of good judges, gave his enemies many advantages against him. The war with Spain, though successful, having exhausted the Queen's exchequer, she was obliged to assemble a Parliament, where Yelverton, a lawyer, was chosen Speaker of the House of Commons. Elizabeth took care, by the mouth of Sir Thomas Edgerton, Lord Keeper, to inform this assembly of the necessity of a supply she said that the wars formerly waged in europe had commonly been conducted by the parties without further view than to gain a few towns or at most a province from each other but the object of the present hostilities on the part of spain was no other than utterly to bereave england of her religion her liberty and her independence that these blessings however she herself had hitherto been able to preserve in spite of the devil the pope and the spanish tyrant and all the mischievous designs of her enemies that in this contest she had dispersed a sum triple to all the parliamentary supplies granted her and besides expending her ordinary revenues had been obliged to sell many of the crown lands and that she could not doubt but her subjects in a cause where their own honor and interests were so deeply concerned would willingly contribute to such moderate taxations as should be found necessary for the common defence the parliament granted her three subsidies and six fifteenths the same supply which had been given four years before but which had then appeared so unusual that they had voted it should never afterwards be regarded as a precedent the commons This session ventured to engage in two controversies about forms with the House of Peers, a prelude to those encroachments which, as they assumed more courage, they afterwards made upon the prerogatives of the Crown. They complained that the Lords failed in civility to them by receiving their messages sitting with their hats on, and that the Keeper returned an answer in the same negligent posture. But the upper house proved to their full satisfaction that they were not entitled by custom and the usage of parliament to any more respect some amendments had been made by the lords to a bill sent up by the commons and these amendments were written on parchment and returned with the bill to the commons the lower house took umbrage at the novelty they pretended that these amendments ought to have been written on paper not on parchment, and they complained of this innovation to the peers. The peers replied that they expected not such a frivolous objection from the gravity of the house, and that it was not material whether the amendments were written on parchment or on paper, nor whether the paper were white, black, or brown. The commons were offended at this reply, which seemed to contain a mockery of them, and they complained of it, though without obtaining any satisfaction an application was made by way of petition to the queen from the lower house against the monopolies an abuse which had risen to an enormous height and they received a gracious though a general answer for which they returned their thankful acknowledgments end of section thirty five chapter forty three part three